Well, hello there. Let's do this. How's it going, Tuli? It is going very well. Thank you. Good. How are you? Um, I am good. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Tuli, do you do you notice anything different in our Zoom room today? Um, I noticed that you have a uh, fake-looking orchid in your background. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that I have. I don't know if this is real or fake, this plant behind me. Um, but what I know is very, very real is our guest. The it's one, the only, Francis Poe. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you all for having me. Welcome, Francis. We're so happy to have you here. I'm pretty excited to be here as well. Awesome. Welcome to awesome. The, the now called Tuli and Alma podcast. Yeah, um, the now called. So why don't we start off with, uh, do you have any ideas for what we should call this podcast? Yeah, Ew. that's a good question. Hmm. Let me, let me ponder on that through the podcast and <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll let you know at the end. Great idea. That sounds great. Okay. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Right, so Alma, what are we, what are we, what are we talking to Francis about today? Well, first we definitely want to hear a little bit about Francis. So we're going to. We definitely want to open up some space so that you can tell us a bit about yourself, how you're in this LOC world. In fact, we'd also like to, just going back to that pilot episode, get an, a feel for how you define that LOC. But one of the big topics is something that you know a little bit about because uh, you research, which is curiosity at work. That's kind of the main topic we'll be getting to and what that looks like, what it could look like how it could apply right to our work life so well, let's start Francis Poe where are you um where are you located right now where are you from how did you get here <laughs> <laughs> I am coming to you from Greenville South Carolina this is where I was born and raised nice that's amazing and I yeah I think like uh I think it would be uh helpful for us to you know maybe I feel this is an annoying question, but um, who is Francis Poe? I think that's. I think that. I think that He's is. I think that's the first thing we we would want to know. I think there's a good podcast name: "Annoying Questions with Tuli and Alma." <laughs> You're going to get a lot of takers with that one. For sure, people love that. <laughs> but good. All question. right, let's hear it. Well, I am a change management practitioner. I come from the nonprofit space, mostly dabbled in commercial real estate development for a little while, wow. but I have a passion for making, for helping organizations figure out how to utilize their people better. And in the change practitioner realm, my sweet spot, the, the part that I just love to do is figuring out why there is a problem, why people think a solution would work, and generally how people got in the situa situation they are at any given moment. I found that most people, when they are solving for problems, um, really don't understand the why. They try to jump mm. straight into solutioning without figuring out what's the root cause of issues. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I, that, that's really cool. And I hope we'll get to that, but 
but as far as like Francis, there was there was oh. one little thing in your story that I was like, <laughs> I dabbled in commercial real estate and then and now I'm a change practitioner and this is my sweet spot. So could you go back like how did you get commercial real estate and now being interested in this, like what what were the bridges, what were the connections that brought you to this world? Okay, well, I may have to back up a little bit more than that. So Please you do. can stop me when I'm talking too okay. much. You can start from like the hospital in which you were born. Okay. If, you were, if you were born in a hospital. Maybe I was born weren't. in a hospital. Because that was right. an interesting story too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I um, am a graduate from um, Appalachian State University and was an art education major oh. and taught middle school art for a year in a very low income school. It was 96% below the poverty line. Now that school is 100% below the poverty line. And it introduced me to broken, broken systems. Um, oh. And I thought that I would continue to teach art. I did a year hiatus. I moved to New Zealand. I wanted to experience a different culture and just try things on my own. And I wanted to get out of the South. Um, when I came back, I thought I would teach high school art, but ended up working for an Episcopal church and wow. um, took a ministry area that had about 15 people in it and grew it to over 300 active participants. Wow. And are, huh? Francis, those are the participants you're talking about, like it's a volunteer thing, right? Yeah. So 20 okay. and 30 year olds, people who were showing up regularly, getting involved in things. And once I quote fixed that, made it sustainable where somebody else could come in and manage it. I really wanted to move on to another topic and ended up in um, doing community outreach and did the, an overhaul of that area as well. And through wow. all of that, I realized I really loved helping figure out how do we move past a problem and how do we get people engaged in solving it? So once those fun things were figured out. Like we started the only um, residential home in South Carolina for survivors of sex trafficking. Um, we started a book distribution um, that has given over 500,000 books to elementary aged kids in Greenville County and even developed a a pocket neighborhood um, in a low income area. And so you may notice I like to take things on, try to improve them. And then I'm not a maintainer. I got to get out of the way. And <laughs> so I, um, there wasn't really a next project for me to do. So I found myself in the commercial real estate world. I thought this is a whole nother venue. Um, did not know as much about it as I did my previous roles. And so I was just eager to learn. And then COVID happened and a lot of what I was hoping to do did not get to come into fruition. And COVID helped me really think, what is it that, as Diane Kanaki will say, what is the Francis size hole in the world 
that you need to insert yourself in. She says it much more eloquently than I do. And realize that I want to help people go through change. And I didn't talk into somebody about it. And they were like, well, why don't you go into change management? I don't even know what that is. (laughs) And which made me think a lot of, makes me think a lot of y'all's first podcast episode on what is LOC. Mm. Um, Came across the Northwestern program, felt like it had been written for me, people being at the center of change. And so that's, that's what I did. I quit my job so that I could spend all my time and energy learning, fully immersing myself in the, Mm. in the topic and then graduated in June. And now I am a change management practitioner. Wow. Does that answer your question, Alma? (laughs) Yes. And, and it's fascinating because, uh, Francis, well, my personal confession, I've known you for two years. You and I were in, like, we started the same time and we were in our first team together. And there were parts of your story that I did, I just learned about today. Like the fact that you grew a a volunteer part of, of the Episcopalian church from 15 to over 300, like that's impressive. And, and also another thing that's really resonating, I, I think I did know this about you and I'm sure Tuli did too, is that you are definitely someone who is attracted to learning and, mm-hmm. and you're also attracted to challenges, like something you don't really know much about and seeing how you can figure it out. And I, and I also like that, that um, what you mentioned, what did you call it? You called yourself a maintainer, not, no, not a maintainer. Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm not words? a maintainer. So you like to start it here. Here's mm-hmm. a, not a fire, but like, <laughs> here's a, here's a thing that is structured. It's, it's running. Peace out. Right. Yeah. Let okay. me get out of the way. And I'm going to let you write my resume after this. Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to hire you for something. I wish I could hire you for something. I just, that was actually really well told as well. I think. We learned some cool things about you. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Tuli? Did you learn something about Francis? Absolutely. No, thank you yeah. so much. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, I obviously have lots of questions, but I'll hold back. <laughs> um, and and what I do want to ask you is, so, so you came across the MSLOC, the Masters of Science in Learning and Organizational Change at Northwestern. First of all, how did you come across that program? Like what, what was it Google? And if so, what were the terms that you were Googling? Was it organizational change? I think that I Googled um, organizational change and change management and some top 20 list of grad schools came up and Northwestern was on it. And I was going through the different websites Mm -hmm. and read some of them and they were like, "Mm, I don't that's not a good fit. And when I saw Northwesterns, I was like, oh, wow, I'm definitely interested in that. And then it was like, oh, wow, that's Northwestern. So applied to Northwestern and four other schools, Northwestern was my stretch school. And when I got accepted, I was like, all right, I got to go. That's, that's awesome. Do you, do you remember what were the things that stood out to you about the program or that attracted to you, that attracted you to the program? Yeah, the main thing that it was people-centered change and um, that it was 
individuals, teams, organizations, systems, you could get micro macro level change, but it all starts with people and how, um, how leaders need to come around and support individuals in order for there to be good change in the world. And that, that is similar to my own experience when you don't have those, um, when you don't have good leaders and good management in place that can nurture that change and support it, change efforts can fail. Mm. So, and, and so, and so now that you're finished uh, and now that you've graduated, um, what are some of the lessons either about change, about learning or otherwise that you feel that you've gained from your time uh, in the MSLOC program? Oh gosh, how long is this podcast? I think I could go from <laughs> right. here on, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my main takeaway. Um, and that is that change should be incremental. You know, you may be able to see the destination you want to go and realize that there are a thousand steps between here and there. But you can't do all of those at one time. You've got to start with each small step. You've got to test it. You've got to see if it works. Because if you try to, if you try to throw all the changes at people at once and things aren't working, you can't pinpoint which change isn't working because you've thrown too much at it. Mm. And also people just get change fatigue. And so if you think of it like just with your own personal goals, um, if I'm trying to start exercising or eat better, if I can start with one little thing rather than 12 big things, then I'm probably more likely to stick with it. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's, that's a really good takeaway, I think. And ask lots of questions. Woo! Never ending questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say that I think that, um, well, I first, I met you in the, in my first class at MSLSC, which was, um, well, the number is 420. I don't remember the title of the class. I say this, I've said this a number of times in this podcast, the numbers are easier for me to remember, especially a number like 420. What's up? Shout out Los Angeles. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I met you in that class. It was a great class taught by uh, Eric and Ryan. Um, and there was someone else on the teaching staff. Um, but Eric Friedman, who was our te who, who taught that class, who is just fantastic. Um, he used to host these office hours. Yes. Before class. Eric. And Francis, right. uh, Francis was a regular and I tried to be a regular. Um, and yeah, that is when I got exposed to to uh, to you and to your endless curiosity and questions and just you know learning your love for learning, which has been so cool. Yeah, well, totally. thank you. Love those office hours. Everyone should take advantage of them. You, you know, it was one of those things for me. I have to say that, like, because it was my first class, I just assumed that every class would have that. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess this is what. And then, I mean, you know, every class or other, many other classes are wonderful in their own right. Uh, but it, I think it's a it's an act of tremendous generosity on the part of Eric um, 
it, I think it speaks a lot more to who he is, to be honest. Than in his else. endless curiosity. Yes. And, right. yes. yes, I yes. agree. Yeah. So now I have uh, a, a big question now that you've also been through this. So what is your definition, Francis Poe, of LOC? All right. LOC, learning and organizational change. Yeah. Leading organizational change. Okay, oh, lead, so I'm going to go leading? back. Is it leading? No, learning. Learning, learning oh. in organizational but, change. How but long maybe it should be. Maybe, okay, we just learned something. The program is not learning an organizational change. It is actually leading organizational change. And people and have been getting this wrong. Right, and it's Maslock is the presentation <laughs> of the whole thing. Yes, no, it is learning and organizational change. And okay. I'm going to mention Diane again, because Diane is the one who helped me figure out what it was that we were studying. So she said, you can't learn if you don't change. And you can't change if you don't learn. So I'm going to expand on that. Hmm. So learning and organizational change focuses on building our understanding of how individuals, teams, organizations, and systems learn so that we are equipped to help them change. So this Northwestern program then arms us with a variety of tools to assess where the people, teams, organizations, and systems are in their change journeys, why they are in a need of change, what needs to change, and then help them determine where they need to go next and how they are going to get there. That is my definition of learning and organizational change. Have you used it like at, uh, I don't know, happy hours or getting to know people? Like, have you tested this defi definition out with not yeah, I've learned from this program? I've learned that um, like my sweet father just cannot grasp what it is that I studied or what it is that I've learned. And this definition kind of stuck with them. I'm like, okay, then this makes sense. But it does, it's it's much more, I do it much more conversationally than okay, you know, spouting off a definition. Got, yes. Yes, yes. I imagine. That was That's good. really cool. Yeah. I I and and I think look, I think for me, even still till this day, I and and I totally can relate to to your sweet father because um I think that talking about learning in the context of work and just in the context of organizations is still a foreign concept to people because that's just not, we, we think about like learning as school, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you go to school to learn. Um, we don't necessarily automatically think about that at work. Um, I saw that Amy Edmondson, the great Amy, the great Amy Edmondson shared uh, on her social media, she was on some panel where she was asked to, uh, where each one, it, apparently it's like a hundred years uh, of the Harvard Business Review. And so um, wow. Amy Edmondson and some other smart people were on, a were on a panel sharing kind of their favorite or like, like the most impactful HBR article on them. And she shared one called Teaching Smart People How to Learn um, by Chris, uh, Chris Art. Argi, how do you pronounce his name? It's Argiris. Is it Argus? Argus. There's an R in there somewhere. He's really well known. Um, 
scholar. Uh, Ryan will know. Yeah, 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 yeah I, don't, I just don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, and apparently this 1991 uh, HBR article had a huge impact on our, we're, this is where he, um, I think he's the one that started this concept of like double loop learning and all that. I, you know, um, the stuff that Alma, that you, that you and I talked about from like Senge. Um, yeah. They're, learning teams. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's there's like a lot of overlap there. But like apparently this idea of like learning in organizations and like this idea of like, like you know, we're talking about change in an organization, which is like a moment that is like a challenge. I mean, mm. in truth, we could we could keep talking about this and realize that it's never ending in the context of, yeah. of, of, of organizations, right? Um, but yeah, like this idea that like to be successful in an organization requires learning and in some ways mm -hmm. requires intentional learning um, yeah. is, 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 is not easy for people to grasp. It's still not even necessarily the most natural thing for me to grasp. I'm still, you know, um, I'm still learning it. Well, and I wonder if we, if it's the word learning that gets in the way, because I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about curiosity, but right. curiosity is just a, simpler form of learning when you're curious you are taking on something that you did not know before mm. and I do think that we've limited learning to what we can glean in schools or in classrooms rather than what are we doing in the world and I do think that MSLOC is trying to help us to realize that we are constantly learning from our interactions with others, from the our cultures that we, our own cultures and how we bump up against other cultures. It's just this never ending opportunity if we'll allow it to and open our eyes to it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Francis and Alma, I'm, I'm curious from yeah. both of you, can you think of an example of a time or can you think of a time at work? where it was learning that you know that basically helped you through a project or like without learning you couldn't have done x or y just to make that this a little bit more concrete for people francis is nodding so <laughs> you can go first yeah i mean i um when i was doing commercial real estate development i had to learn spreadsheets and formulas and that was not my forte. And I remember having to pour over and study these things so that I could do my job. And then, then it just became second nature of how to read these reports and, and put data. And, and that's just a, I mean, yeah, I think cool. we're, that was just something, a learning that I had to achieve in order to even keep my job. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that's like the most basic level of learning right like learning yeah. the skills that are required to do your job mm -hmm. yeah in in my case in consulting actually every single consulting engagement even um where you are an external consultant right brought in to help solve any type of challenge or problem the first step now that i think about it really is learning because you come in as someone who doesn't know the industry or their needs or their team or whatever it is. And I learned from a consultant uh, once, the, the way she framed it, I thought was really, really cool. She says, the first thing I do is kind of sit down with the client and say, okay, 
explain your business to me for dummies. I want a crash course on your business or your industry, like the whole context. And then we would just kind of sit there and like take notes and ask questions. <laughs> and and, and in, in some ways that 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 particular framing uh, alludes to traditional in-school learning. But more than that, it was the attitude of like, hey, we cannot even pretend to come alongside you in any type of challenge if we're not first in the position of learners. And I found that really, really powerful because usually consultants come in as a quote unquote experts, right? But I think even being a good consultant, the first, the first step is really, I got to learn about your world, right? Oma, I love that. I think that really um, a consultant's job is to be an expert in asking questions. Mm. We have this wonderful class, um, building client relationships. And if you come in from a place of humility and curiosity and learning, you're going to get so much further than coming in as a know-it-all because we don't know somebody's business we don't know their company right very rigid and a little arrogant to come in as a know-it-all yeah I think I think both of you are making a really important point here which is that learning is not just an action it's like um it's a it's a it's a state of being Mm. right like like Mm -hmm. right so to go it's different to go into your work and to and to go yeah, to do your to go even to go through life as a learner and to go through it as a non-learner, <laughs> an unlearner, <laughs> an unlearner. <laughs> there are learning teams, Francis, and there are unlearning teams. You'll learn that in episode three. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to pause and write and down this quote by Tully: "Learning." is and I, I think I paraphrased it just a tad so I'm you, sure can you made it better <laughs> learning is not just an action it is a state of being yeah oh well done yeah. totally all right uh, no th- this I was just synthesizing what I heard from you uh to be quite honest <laughs> so really it was that Francis it was yeah. that. and you hear that humility <laughs> coming out as well. there we go yeah. <laughs> um, I, can I just I, I I can't help myself. I want to just share something really quick before we move on to curiosity, which I do want to move on to. Um, but uh, okay, so I recently read this book by Bill Browder, who he's been in the news a lot lately because he was a hedge fund manager in Russia and had a falling out with Putin. And he wrote a book called Red Notice, which is incredible, highly recommend. It reads like a spy thriller, except it's all true. Real? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And but in it, this, this blew my mind. So after business school, he went to work for the Boston Consulting Group in London. And he went to work in London because he wanted to work in Eastern Europe, but they didn't really have anything yet. In Eastern Europe, communism was still a thing. And um, they said, okay, go to London. And as soon as things like open up, you're on the first job. So the, his first job when finally, you know, a, a BCG project in, in Eastern Europe was for a bus company in Poland. This bus company apparently was losing a lot of money and they're like, okay, go to some small town in Poland and, you know, help this bus company figure out what they could do to like save their business. And he's like, okay, how? <laughs> like, all right, okay, like, how do I do this? I know I, I just went to business school and whatever. I work for a fancy consulting firm. And they're like, no, 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 here's what you do. 
go to the archives, look through all of the people that work for BCG all over the world, look at all the projects they've done, that, that they've done, and find the people that have worked on a transportation project. Go interview those people and then put together a presentation for this company. You know, and you know, whatever, because because they have to put in a bid or, or or whatever it is, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. And right. So essentially what they're saying is BCG, one of the most prestigious consulting companies in the world, right? Your job as a consultant is literally to just interview other consultants who have had experience doing the thing that you're about to do. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> Blew my mind. But in essence, the truth is to the, I mean, again, we can be, we can be cynical about it and there's plenty of room for cynicism when it comes to large fancy consulting groups. Um, but also, it also makes sense, right? If they've done great yeah. work and you know, yeah. that, that's what you do. You interview people that have done it. And you're yeah. learning from others. Yeah. Yeah. Right. At least as a first step. Yes, that is legitimate. Perhaps the story goes on and yeah, 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 I'm sure. I'm, you know, the story does go on. He spent six months living there and, you know, being embedded oh. in the company every single day. And yes, of course, you know, once, once they got the job, like he, ha he had to do the work. There's no doubt. But this right. was, right. this was in terms of just learning about tra the transportation industry and how it all works. And, you know, yeah, like this is what you do. You go and interview other people that have done it. That's so cool. And I doubt, you know, I mean, I think it that story hits hard because it's a consulting firm, right? Yeah. And so we have certain expectations of, of big consulting firms. But really, the, if, if that would have been in a different industry and like, you know, Frances gets put on a, in a new business unit, but she doesn't know anything about it, for her to go and interview and people who already have experience and that wouldn't seem as weird. And it really is I mean, I, I think this also goes to show what a transversal skill it is that we, like some just a very necessary skill to learn how to ask, like you were saying, Francis, to learn how to ask really good questions. And then that attitude or disposition or state of being of like, I first need to learn as much as possible before I even try to come up with a solution or think through anything, right? So Alma, I think you just named what LOC is. Oh, did I? Yeah, what did I do? You what first did I have to learn about things before you can come up with a solution. Dun, dun, dun. You're welcome. We will edit that. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you expected that. It's true. We first need to learn things. Well, what's really similar to actually what you said was a quote from Diane, which was, in order to, uh, let's see if I learned it. In order to change, you need to learn. In order to learn, you need to change. Was it that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And, anyways, um, Francis, it, Julie, you mind if I jump in and get to I, curiosity? I only mind if you ask me if I mind. Uh, <laughs> should I ask again? See if he minds? <laughs> Just to annoy him? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of annoying questions. All right, so dear Francis, so we've talked about LOC, everything, and now this topic of curiosity. Before you even tell us like what curiosity in the workplace is and, and about what you studied, what made you curious about curiosity? 
Like, how did you even get to a point of this would be cool to study? And we should say that, that this is yeah. that this is yeah that this is what Frances um, studied for her yes. capstone project. Yeah. Yes. Well, the um, dreaded survey that goes out to MSLUC students saying, "What is going to be your topic? What do you want to study?" I really <laughs> struggled with that because there has yet to be a class that I did not really enjoy or want to learn more about. I actually really struggled to figure out which classes I was going to take. I wanted to take all of the classes that were offered. Um, and strategy seems to have been like a, a key topic in my working career. And so I reached out to the wonderful BK Simerson who is also a graduate of Appalachian State University uh -huh. um, and just wanted to talk to him about capstone and picking a topic and could it possibly be strategy? And he gave me this phenomenal advice. He said, don't study something that you think is going to help you in your career. Like, don't let that be the driving factor in picking your topic. It shouldn't be because you're going to work in that field later on. He said, you need to pick a topic that if you see an article about it in 30 years, you're still going to want to learn about it. And hmm. so he just kept saying, what are you curious about? And it, I realized that the actual act, the thought of being curious is what I'm curious about. I'm really, I was really curious, like, are some people curious and just other people not? Are there different levels of curiosity? Can you increase curiosity? And so um, that was the, that's what drove me to pick curiosity in the workplace as a topic. Wow. And then it, and go ahead. No, one that's fascinating, like the whole the whole process of how you got there. You're kind of meta about it, but also too, did you have any doubts about whether you were going to find, like, did you know if there was material out there, or academic literature on this topic topic of curiosity? Had you come oh across anything before? Or? <laughs> I totally had doubts. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Um. No, I had not come across really, I mean, I had come across articles that in order to be better at your job, you need to be curious or in order to okay. build relationships, you need to be curious in other people. But I had not really come across anything. Now, Ryan, um, one of our professors, he, in his, both of his books, he mentions curiosity. And so I did have a little bit, I was like, okay, I know that Ryan has written about curiosity. So I have a starting point. Mark. Can I just uh, uh, interject there? Um, did, you, did you read both of Ryan's books? No, Ryan, I apologize. I have not <laughs> read your books. I read large I'm glad. portions of your books. Um, but I f when in the article, in the chapters of Ryan's books that we had to read for class, the, the ones around curiosity 
were the ones that sparked my curiosity. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I also, I, well, I also, I read, I read the parts that were assigned for our classes, um, and they were great. So that's pretty awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's a great writer. Yeah, um, Alma, I, do, do you think that it wasn't right of me to put Francis on the spot there? No, I thought Brilliant. it was funny that she spoke directly to Ryan because I happened to run into him this afternoon. Oh, funny, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, how's the podcast going? And I was like, I don't know. You tell me if you like it. Yeah. And, and he's and for, like, yeah, I've been listening. And I was like, okay, so now we know he's listening, Francis. So I think he'll probably write you and say that. That's awesome. And, and and for, for listeners, uh, we're talking about Ryan Smerick. And um, his books are, I think they're both available on Amazon. Buy them. They're great. Recommended. Ryan Smerick. Yeah, actually, um, Ryan is responsible for leading me to that, to the article that became game changer for my study and curiosity. It's where everything came together and made sense. So, so wait, you talk to BK, you're like, curiosity is the thing. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. What? And then like what happened next that's when you go to ryan's articles and at what point did you come mm. across the the game changer article yeah so i probably spent gosh at least 10 hours reading articles on curiosity and realized yeah. that it was not a black and white term like most things in our lives um mm. you are not either it's not like you either have it or you don't have it. There's lots of different types of curiosity. Um, and there's lots of different definitions for curiosity and terms. And it was, you know, as um, our, another one of our professors, Melinda calls it um, citation burritos, where <laughs> you have... When you're reading an article and um, lots of other articles are cited in uh -huh. the article, then that's a great place to chase down new information. And so I chased a lot of these citation burritos <laughs> and led me to a few different articles. And it was in an office hours talking with Ryan. Um, and I was just trying to wrap my head around these different types of curiosity and mentioned a author, a researcher, and wanted Ryan to look up this one article I was referring to, but he thought I was talking about a different article and brought up that article. And the one he referenced was the one that I really needed. And, and then all of a sudden my question became clear, what I wanted to study became clear. And then I was able to move on. But wait, why? What what was this article about? Like, what did you learn in this article? Ooh, so and now we're really going to get into curious. <laughs> and what's it called and who wrote it? And send us the link now. <laughs> um, so it's Todd Cashton. And he and a team of researchers figured out the five different curiosity types and how to measure them. And wow. that led to me trying to figure out, okay, is there a correlation between how engaged someone is in their work and an individual's curiosity type? So 
to clarify there, the curiosity types are, they're like different shades of curiosity or are these more like personality types? What do you mean by, by types there? They are not personality types. Um, okay. So before I get into the, to the different curiosity types, let me just say that you are more than likely not just one type. You could be different shades of any of these types, but some of the types may rise to the surface. Okay. And are these fixed or not? No, curiosity is not fixed. Um, Although there's still, there still needs to be a lot of research around how does one increase their curiosity? But uh, there is a great book by Ian Leslie called Curious. And he talks a lot about how curiosity is contagious. So if you are around curious people, you are more likely to become curious as well. Just like by you being curious, you are more likely to bring other people along in their curiosity. Wow, Francis. Okay, I'm getting excited. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) the five types of curiosity. The first one is called joyous exploration. And this is the curiosity type around individuals that just love to learn or open to new experiences and they are invested in their own personal growth. Then you've got deprivation sensitivity and this is negative experiences are produced by not knowing. I like to think of this as our all of the researchers who are trying to find vaccinations for uh, a vaccine for COVID who, you know, didn't sleep, didn't eat, they were determined um, to find that vaccine. I also experienced deprivation sensitivity trying to finish my capstone because I sat at my computer, like in the data, trying to figure it out and realized I needed sleep more than anything. So that's deprivation sensitivity. There's a a question there, clarification there. Um, Deprivation sensitivity, is it almost like a a motive, like what motivates you to be curious? What drives your curiosity? Is that another way to look at it or am I misunderstanding? I think it could be a driver and as well as how it manifests itself. And it shows up for people in very different ways. I mean, it can be another way this shows up for me is that when I sit down and work on a puzzle, I have a really hard time not finishing the puzzle. Um, But for other people, it could be, um, you know, not going to sleep until you finish the recipe. You figure out how to you know, cook the perfect cookies or it's, yeah. it's any time that your needs, like your, your basic health, like how you would live as a healthy individual day in and day out, things, your quest to uncover something is more important than those basic everyday things. So you are willing to sacrifice the sleep, the food, conversations with others in an effort to solve this unknown. Okay, that's helpful. The third curiosity type is called stress tolerance. 
And these are people who are just adept at handling the unknown complex problems. They are happy with ambiguity. You can pick them up and put them in a new social situation and they thrive completely fine. Alma. Is that you, friends? I was thinking of you. That's definitely Alma there. Never (laughs) met a stranger. Um, Is it also you? Is it also you? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed in the new setting. Yeah. Cool. So, and so already you can see I've named three different curiosity types, and I think that I have bits of each of these in me. Right. Um, the next one, which um, is, has been a really fun one for me to study, is thrill seeking. And those are people that lean into high stress situations for the thrill of the adventure. Mm. So, these are your people who let's go bungee jumping or skydiving. It could also be, let's go to Vegas and I'm going to put $5,000 down and I'm okay. Like the rush of, am I going to lose it all or am I going to win it is almost more exciting than if you win it. Um, These are bet the company type people. I would imagine Elon Musk has a pretty large thrill seeking curiosity. Oh, Elon. Okay. Um, and so then the, the last grouping is social curiosity. And these are, you either have overt curiosity, social curiosity or covert curiosity. Now, overt curiosity is what the two of you are doing right now with me on this podcast. You are interested in what I have to say. You're interested in what I know. You're curious about it. And you're asking me direct questions. Covert curiosity is where you obtain information through gossip or sneaky means. Cheese So this could Cheese be. Cheese me. <laughs> what did you say? Cheese me. It was actually Tuli who said it first. Tuli, what's cheese me? Uh, gossip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Believe, important right? Spanish word. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Love learning cheese a new word. <laughs> um, and so these could be. Anything from, let's say you were at a restaurant and the couple next to you is fighting and you're like, hey, hey, we're going to be quiet so I can listen to what they're fighting about. Or it could be simply, I'm not, I don't want to ask Frances about her research on curiosity. I'm just going to go online and find the study and read it myself. Or you know, I like to think of investigative reporters have some covert social curiosity. I have never done the thing at the restaurant you mentioned. Ever, <laughs> ever have I ever. Right. So as I name these different curiosity types, are there any that gravitate to either of you that you're like, ooh, I'm definitely one of these? Well, you called me out already, and I, I, I tend to agree. So I, I saw what you said is uh, about little strands of each one being present. Yeah, I definitely can see that. But one of them is, is much stronger. But Tuli, what about you? I think the joyous exploration one uh, really kind of stood out to me. Um, but also the last one that you talked about, which is like the social um, curiosity. 
Um, that also stood out to me be, only because I'm so only because I'm so curious about other people and to, and, I, and I love learning from other people. Um, and I think that for me that that manifests itself in both overt and covert ways. Like I sure like like I overtly ask questions and love to meet new people, but I also covertly will I'll get curious about something and I'll want to read everything they've done or you know or you know or find out how they were raised or what school they went to or just information about them. Like that's interesting to me for sure. Yeah. I think it would be difficult for the both of you to have a podcast and not be overt social curious. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Like, like I am overtly asking you questions, but also like I have read your stuff. Was it immediately obvious to you how each of these curiosity dimensions might manifest themselves at, in, a, in a work setting? Yeah, so the first time I read the article, and as you all know, you have to read articles more than once if you really want to glean the information from them, uh, or at least I do. Um, I thought, okay, my topic for my capstone research project is going to be on are certain types of people with with curiosity types like if you are high in joyous exploration are you better suited for some jobs rather than other jobs mm -hmm. like I was thinking okay with the covert social um curiosity if you're working for a gossip magazine that's like right up your alley but if you are covert social curiosity and you are in a work setting um, where gossip could really become a toxic thing, then that's going to get in the way of you doing your job. So I was making all kinds of assumptions. Okay, there's got to be this like niche that people fall into. And, um, but the more I read, the more I realized, no, that's not. I don't think we can make those determinations. Now that might be a PhD level research project. Right. But so then um, I pared it down and it was, okay, our, we have this huge work engagement crisis going on in the United States. Um, over 50% of um employees in the United States are actively unengaged in their jobs. And that's a problem. If you're not engaged in your work, then the company suffers, you suffers. There's all this research behind it. Quick and definition so, of work engagement. Sure. Let me, I'm going to tell you Good the one, um, yeah. exact. So um, work engagement refers to an individual's personal connection to their work as well as a positive, fulfilling work-related state of mind. And, the, and work engagement is characterized by vigor, dedication, and absorption. So at work, you feel bursting with energy, you're enthusiastic about your job, and you're immersed in your work. And we may not be all three of those things at any given time, um, but, but you want to average out that, that these are 
but all positive things in your in your work life. Okay. So okay. I was curious if curiosity played a role in how engaged people were in their work. Like if you had a certain type of curiosity, did that mean that you were more likely to be engaged in your work or less likely? Was there any type of correlation there? And um, what I found, I was very lucky. I had um, 193 people fill out my survey. So I had a lot of data to work with. And what I found was that um, there are actually two different curiosity types that um, aligned with high work engagement. The first one was joyous exploration. There's people who just love to learn. And then the second one was high stress tolerance. Um, now, joyous exploration was way higher than the stress tolerance, but there was a significant correlation between high stress tolerance and curiosity. So it's um, one takeaway of that is that if you are just generally curious about the world around you, you are more likely to be engaged in your work. And we're going to make some assumptions here. And, and that's knowing that you are more curious in general means you're probably going to be more curious in the workplace. Um, I went a step further in all of this um, and wanted to know if there were how your work was designed, if that played any role in how curious you were. So one of the main drivers of my whole research was, have you been in a job where you just came into work and couldn't wait to be there? You were excited to be there. You were curious about what you were doing. You were eager to learn. And then other jobs, you were like, oh my gosh, this day could not go any slower. Please, can I just punch the clock and get out of here? I am bored out of my mind, even if you have a ton of work to do. So like, what, what is it that makes us engaged in our work? And curiosity was one thing that I wanted to study. And the other one was how your work is organized. And that's everything from do you have autonomy? How complex is your role? Is the chair that you're in comfortable? There's all of these different characteristics. There's actually 21 different work design characteristics. So I wanted to know which ones, uh, which one of those impacted curiosity as well. Like your like which which ones of those 21 things impacted your level of curiosity? Oh impacted your level of work engagement sorry oh impact okay and then yeah with curiosity okay got it and so and what'd you find yeah yeah it was find? pretty cool there's um the two driving factors in being engaged in your work from the work characteristic level is the first one is um, task significance. And that's simply that your job matters to someone, to you, to others. 
Like there has to be some purpose behind what you're doing. If you are doing a job and you know it does not matter, it is not making any impact in the world on your day-to-day, in your company, like if you were fired tomorrow, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. That just sucks the life out of your ability to be engaged in work. The second thing um, was that you get feedback from your job. And that is not where Alma, I'm working for you and you're going to tell me how I'm doing. This is just by me doing my job. I know if I'm doing a good job or not. And if I don't, if I don't have the knowledge to understand if I'm doing a good job, then I have low feedback from job. And I'm in this constant state of wonder, like, am I doing okay? I don't know. So the two of those things um, had a significant influence on someone's work engagement. So it really boiled down to joyful, joyous exploration, task significance, and feedback from job and stress tolerance are those driving factors for how curious or for how engaged you are in your work. And that's a lot of information. So please ask questions. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Alva. Well, I'm wondering if you could put those four together. So the two types of, like in an an example, in a story, I don't know, something from, from your life or something that you've heard, what that might look like, whether it's doing well at the four or not doing well at those four, however you want to frame it. But I'm happy. it's, you need me to it's paint really a interesting, but like, yeah, please paint a picture. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So I, um, a previous job that I had, I came in so curious to learn. Like could not wait to learn about the business, um, the different players, how we impacted the world around us, all of these things. I had really high joyous exploration coming into this job. As the job went on, I realized that the, the task that I was doing every day did not have any significance to the day-to-day operations of the company. So they were like menial tasks or? Yeah, it was just, you know, it was, um, there were things that I had to do each day that kept me busy, okay. but they didn't actually provide any meaning or they just weren't significant to you. They were not going to change the outcome of our organization. I kind of think that they were tasks that were like, let's just keep Francis busy until Mm -hmm. we can figure out what else we want to do with her. And in, in, in that, I never knew if I was doing a good job or not because these tasks didn't have any significance. And so what I found was that my curiosity just plummeted. I was not engaged at work at all. And so they, they, all these things were so interconnected that if you want somebody to remain curious, then, then you've got to have the work characteristics to, to set them up, to, to kind of be the foundation that allows it. So Curiosity is personal. 
that is something that I individually can bring to my job. Your task significance, like what your job, if your job has meaning, and if your job gives you feedback, those things can only be provided by the organization. So if the organization does not provide those, then they should expect that people are going to have low work engagement. So they all feed into each other. Do you think it's true the other way too, that when we're engaged, we're also more curious? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is this a chicken or the egg thing? Doesn't matter. Let's eat them both. (laughs) Which is why I think it's so key that we understand that the individual plays a role in this as well as the organization. It really does take two to tango. Yeah. And I, I also think an important thing for organizations to realize as well as team members and just individuals is that we may show up very differently and how we are curious. That doesn't mean we are either curious or not curious. So if you are leading a team or if you, even if you have a, um, you're on a team and you're struggling to connect with somebody else on your team, figuring out how they are curious may help you build a bridge. So me understanding how my supervisor is curious gives me insight and how to communicate with them. Um, Seeing how my sister is curious helps me to have a better relationship with her because I can meet her in her curiosity. Um, As I think before this project, I expected people to show up in the same way I was curious. And mm. I, I, that's not offering much grace to people. And that's a really high expectation that I don't think we can ever meet. In my head, I can hear some of my former clients, perhaps, uh, naysaying a little. That's why they're former yeah. clients. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's okay. I mean, and sometimes, sometimes you, need, you need people to naysay a little bit, but like, all right. If we look at the state, you were talking about that 50% disengagement rate right now in the US, just talking about the US. Um, Something that I'm observing in my work and and at least the clients that I'm engaged with right now is that people are even more so now in do, do, do. And I think coming out of kind of quarantine pandemic, there's there's like lots of things to be done. There's tasks, we're busy, busy, busy. And not all of it might be busy work, right? Some of it might be significant work, but they're busy. Like they have a lot of things to get done. And I think I can hear people saying, it sounds to me like curiosity is going to take me some time. Like, when do I have time to be curious? So there's a myth that to be curious, because it's like asking questions and like, oh, let's pause. Oh, let's, let's slow it down and think through this, right? There, there is a myth or maybe an association that to be more curious at work in a really fast-paced work environment is to slow it down and it's really like it can it can be in hindrance, it can be, it could get in the way. Uh, what do you what do you think about? But that I, I'm sorry, before you answer this very great question, um, yeah. have you have you ever seen any uh, a company that advertises themselves as a slow-paced work environment. Yes, or no. as, a, or as a non. <laughs> Everyone's a fast-paced work environment. We're all we're. All 
Absolutely. Yes, speaking of employer brands, they think that makes them more attractive. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so. I, Alma, I think that's a great question. And like, I don't think that curiosity efforts in the workplace need to be a grand gesture. gesture. I think it can be as simple as like one thing that, that we did on the first team that we were a part of, Alma, was we had a one-minute check-in. Um, at the beginning of each meeting. And we talked about our highs and our lows for the week. That is overt social curiosity. You know, you. You, are, example. you are demonstrating a curiosity in how somebody's life is going in that moment. You have just by doing that one simple thing, you have already increased curiosity in the room. Now, um, I think that there's also ways to encourage your employees. You know what? It is five o'clock. It is time for you to go home. I really encourage you to, you know, go, go to a movie. I mean, I think it doesn't have to all be in-house in order for you to nurture your curiosity. But I do think that the organization itself can support curiosity in in small ways that will have been big impacts and and some of that is having a speaker come in um during the lunch hour you know it's a it's a working lunch together or um simply ask your employees what they need what would help them to be more curious you know i can sit here and spout off ideas that that may work for me but but you have a huge resource and that your employees know what they need. They know what makes them tick. And how often do we actually stop and ask them what they need? Yeah. Absolutely. I think we can all improve on that. Yeah, definitely. Francis Poe, what have you been curious about lately? Oh, I'm curious about a lot of things. Um, one thing that I am curious, um, I have just done an agile training on how to run agile teams. And um, that has been oh, cool. a, a really big thing for me on, on that. And I'm headed to Japan in April. And so I am very curious about oh, well, all things. Like, wait, back I, it up. Why? Well, well, we can talk about all that. My mom was born in Tokyo. So the two of us are going to explore where she was born. Really? But, so it's, you know, I, for me, travel is a huge part of sparking my curiosity. And so I know that I need regularly scheduled trips and that doesn't it doesn't all have to be to japan you know i can drive 30 minutes down the road and walk in and out of shops and on a little main street and that's going to spark my curiosity so it's it's it goes back to it doesn't have to be big things but so what about y'all what's sparking y'all's curiosity <gasps> she turned it around on us did you see no, that good Julie? question yeah <laughs> go first julie go for it sure Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I've been, I, I guess the, you know, 
my my kind of automatic um, response, even though like yeah, like I'm engaged in my in my capstone project right now, which is about like the way managers treat their employees at work, um, and also the way that an organization's culture, uh, you know, might make might affect the way people treat each other at work. So um, I'm I'm really curious about that. Um, I've been because of what's going on in the world. I've been really curious about Russia mm-hmm. and Eastern Europe in general, but yeah, like kind of, you know, I've, I've been very curious about that. Um, and I've also like, one thing I've also been curious about is just time, the way that we as human beings relate to time, um, I think is really, really, really fascinating. Um, one of uh, someone who I, I, I think you know, um, uh, w- one of our classmates, uh, Sarah, recommended this really fantastic book to me. Uh, it's called 4,000 Hours um, Time Management for Mortals. And <laughs> is this Sarah that reads at least three books a week? Is this Sarah Wiley? It is Sarah Wiley. Yes, it is Sarah Wiley. Three books a week? She's um, a powerhouse yeah. reader. To her. Okay. And uh, and I actually um, have read this book three times, and I will read it many more times because it is incredible. Um, wow! And it's uh, so so yeah. So like this question of like how we as human beings relate to time is time something we have at all? I mean, there's there are a lot of philosophical questions about this, so that that's also something I've been uh, very curious about. And you know, yeah, and and of course I'm really curious about your work and what you're doing and all that. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Alma. (laughs) Okay. So before I answer, I just, I want to say, I'm going to go meta one second and then I'll bring it back down. So Francis, I think you just modeled a really good practice that anyone in a, in a work environment could easily put into practice. Because when you asked that question back to us, Tuli answered things that I talked to Tuli all the time and I didn't know he was thinking about time or what well, Russia maybe a little bit. There was one other thing that I already forgot. <laughs> that, that only, only my capstone. <laughs> no, capstone yeah. I definitely yeah. knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay, the point the point is, even if I have poor retention apparently. No, uh, I'm the, point, <laughs> the the point the point is even asking that question like as a team leader and sitting around to listen to it, and he did it in about a minute, which is not a lot of time, is already a really cool way to foster curiosity and 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 make it a value within a team. And then also you could do a little bit of team building. So, boom, gem. But, but take totally, that, Alma, take Alma, it. You're, take you're it totally right. You're totally <laughs> yeah. right. Like and and like you. It, it's also like a cool thing to ask people even to ask strangers, like instead of like the usual, like, oh, we, which is also that there's curiosity there also. Like I, I'm, I'm generally curious about where sometimes where people are from or, or what they're into in life, but like asking that question. So well, what, what have you been curious about recently? Lately. Yeah. Lately? Yeah. It's interesting. Really cool. That's an interesting question. And uh, you sorry, may need for to friend, do like a soft building. lead in with right. the, where are you from? And yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, build Absolute a little bit strangers. of rapport, but yes. it's a, I mean, it is a great question. Yeah, it really is. Okay, I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna answer. Go ahead. I know you're all Go waiting. Ahead, Alma. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so the, I, I promise this is not a, a, a shameless plug, but I'm also 
doing my capstone research, right? And I have my first interview tomorrow and I'm studying uh, narrative, like how people make sense of their team experiences through story, through narrative. So I'm really curious to see what in the world people are gonna tell me, <laughs> right? And what I'm actually gonna learn from this. Like uh, there, there's so many things that I'm curious. I'm curious about how people are gonna take my questions, even though I've piloted, you know, you just, you just don't know. So I'm curious and I'm curious about what will happen because I'm opening it up to quite a few different cultures. And so I will also wanna see if my little hypothesis that this narrative sense-making is uh, across all cultures, like what it might look like if this is going to bring a bunch of challenges. If I'm going to be in a pool of tears <laughs> at some point, like this is just nothing. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm curious about that. I've also been very curious about like Brazilian culture. I'm learning Portuguese and I think language learning is fun, not only because it opens up opens up an avenue to connect with different people, but because at least the way I do it is I'm also learning about a culture and a mindset and worldviews and everything. So like, I just watch as much Brazilian Netflix as possible and talk to as many Brazilian friends as I can. And so I've been curious about that. I'm curious about jazz piano right now. And I've been looking in musical theory. Um, I'm a piano player, but I, as a, as an early teen, I rebelled against music theory because I thought it was so boring. And now I'm like, I need to learn this stuff and not just sheet music, not just reading sheet music, but actually understanding music theory. So those are a few things. We'll stop. Okay. There. Well, so um, Tuli, um, find out if Alma sleeps tonight. And if she does, then we'll know that she handles her deprivation sensitivity well, or if she is too <laughs> eager to sleep because she's so excited about this, um, these conversations, then that may provide a little insight into the yeah. world of Alma. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, wanted, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask you, Francis, and I, I hope it's okay to ask you this on air, and if it isn't, we'll edit this out with our very, very sophisticated editing capabilities that Alma and I possess. Um, yes. But, so you, you talked about travel and curiosity. I am very curious. Um, one of the trips that I know you took with, I think it was with your mom, was you walked the Camino del Santiago. And I would love to know what you learned on that walk, on that trip, or Great one thing. Question. One thing. So um, first, I only walked a part of it. I did not walk the full, the full thing. I did. How, how much did you walk? I walked about eighty miles. Yeah, nothing. No. <laughs> Enough to get the certificate. <laughs> That's fantastic. Eighty miles. <laughs> um, but we did this to for my mom's seventy fifth birthday. So that was pretty cool. To I mean, seventieth birthday. Um, the thing I think I learned the most is you have no idea what anybody's life journey is based on how they look. I mean, there, there were just some opportunities. Um, the, the day that we started, and I'm even embarrassed to say this, but this was such a bias check for me. Um, the day, the day before we started the trip, we came in, we were 
tired. We hadn't slept from the plane and we're jet lagged and all that. And we sat down at this cafe and this rowdy group of men, probably all in their early third, it's really thirties and forties, maybe heavily tattooed, you know, kind of bodybuilder type physiques drinking like beers, laughing, just like you, Tully. And it was, and they were so loud and we were so tired. And I just assumed that they were locals. Well, the next day we get on the trip, we start on this journey and all of these guys are hiking the Camino as well. And they sang and laughed the entire journey. And so when you're, when you're hitting mile 15 and you were just tired, your hips hurt, your feet hurt, you don't want to go anymore. And you hear these guys singing and telling stories. I couldn't understand a word that they were saying, but it just, it propelled everybody. Anytime they would have bought by a group, everybody's pace would just pick up a little bit. Hmm. And it made me realize that I had made assumptions and judgments without even realizing it. And I walked along people who were, um, had just gone into remission for breast cancer. I walked with grandfathers with their granddaughters celebrating the life of their son and father who had died. Like you just don't know anybody's journey. And which is one reason why curiosity is so important because unless you talk to people, you're never going to know. You're just stuck with those assumptions. Oh, Francis, I appreciate you even more (laughs) for my vulnerability and embarrassment in that. It was a really good learning for me. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Tuli, for asking that question. Because look at that, Jen. That was fantastic. What a dream team here. Thank yeah. you all for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Um, please, please come back. Please come back. Please do. Yeah. I would love Thank that. Is there, uh, is there anything else that we uh, either haven't asked you or anything else that you want to, any, anything you want to promote? Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I just promote to give people a chance, be curious about them, offer grace and how they show up is curious. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is obviously a topic I could talk about for a lot longer. And so I just thank the dear listeners who have hung with us this long. And thank y'all for your curiosity and what I had to offer. Well, thanks for coming and uh, come again. Please do. I love that. Yeah. Peace. Bye. We'll be back. Bye, everyone. Happy, happy whatever. I don't know when this will come out, but probably after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back with another episode real soon. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Yes, we will.